So, right. So then Duffy, you know how Duffy can be. He sparks off, fucking throwing out some insults, which um, I'm used to. But Geordie squares up to him. It looked like it was about him. I mean, it, it surprised me when Duffy punched him. Like, Duffy has famously said on several occasions, I'll hit anyone except a guy with glasses. So, where that came from, I have no idea. Um, but it's been a hell of a day, man. The, the the new warp transponders, they're just not compatible. I think they've got the wrong SATA connection. So, oh. I've, been, I've spent all day just, just, just jerry-rigging them, mate. And do you know what? I'm just absolutely gagging for a drink, so... Shall we? Oh, here we go. Oh, 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 oh. I think Guinan's put a shamrock in O'Brien's Guinness again. Podcasts. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. It's ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slug, Stardate 70. Uh, these are the continued adventures of this podcast. I'm Eddie. This is Mark. Yeah, Mark, how how, how you been? Yeah, good, fine. Uh, I've had to I I've had to do a lot of research into local Glaswegian ghosts. <laughs> uh, is this because of a haunting issue you're having, or are you planning on running a fraudulent exorcism business? Just pers- personal personal reasons. <laughs> But my main uh, source has been a book, and I'm, it's called the, the The Guide to Mysterious Glasgow by Jeff Holder. And it's, and you know what? I'll, I'll plug this book. He gets a free ad. <laughs> it's pretty good. The only problem is that it's it's kind of like a, it's, it's almost like an encyclopedia of, of weird things that happen in Glasgow, and it puts them down by street. You'll get to like a place like a theatre, and it'll be like this theatre was burned down by the Hellfire Club in the 1700s, and then he rebuilt it this time. And this is this is what happens there, and isn't it all lovely? And ghosts have been sighted in this theatre. For more information about these ghosts, please consult this book by another person. And I'm like, <laughs> I bought this book for you to tell me about the ghosts. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't. Maybe it's just. And it's like, oh, now you have to go and read Dane Love's Scottish Spectres. And I'm like, are you, is this just one guy that's just being, like, like pretending to be four different people? I imagine Glasgow has a lot, a high, a high number of mysterious circumstances because most hauntings are the result of drunk people misbehaving (laughs) and making shit up yeah so there's a famous saying in glasgow uh which goes half the lies we tell aren't true (laughs) that's a great line yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) so yes i've been learning about ghosts in a very non-specific it's really annoying because it's 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 not a subject i i mean i guess it is a subject i have a, a bit of interest in because i like stories and 
where stories come from and how stories are told and how stories shape society and stuff. But the problem with ghost stories is that because they are um, not true, <laughs> it really means that like you can't you you can't really break down the lore or anything. Like if if I'm telling people there's a ghost in here, it's a young girl. One of the ghosts in the Tron Theater is uh, a young girl, a teenage girl called Lisa, who's missing her right hand, and she often points meaningfully. She's described as pointing meaningfully towards the box office, right? Right. Which is an enticing. But she's got no hand, so she's just gesturing vaguely. Well, really. she's got one hand, <laughs> and the, the problem with that is it it raises questions such as why is she missing the hand? Don't know. <laughs> why did she point towards the box office? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she is and she does and if you I, I don't know if you wanted something more in depth you should have gone on the, a history tour that's where you'll find the remains of her body that need to be burned so she can transcend to, that's that's if, I, if I've learned anything from Supernatural it'll be that definitely it's just there's just one hand yeah because in Supernatural it's always your remains have to be destroyed yeah. And it doesn't account for it at all for the fact that, like, human beings lose hair and skin cells all the time. So that must be impossible. <laughs> yeah, it, it does seem, yeah, because occasionally they'll be like, oh, he was cremated. And it's like, right. So, but it's okay because his spirit can also be attached to an object. It's like, well, why aren't they all like, but, oh, it doesn't matter. Um, who cares? Uh, in Buffy, all vampires can be killed by wooden stakes. There is. I like Supernatural. I, I think in some ways I prefer Supernatural to Buffy, but the logical inconsistencies in their ghost rules are baffling. <laughs> it's, it, it literally is just whatever is most convenient for the episode at the time. Which is fine. I, res- I respect that. Have I ever told you about my favourite story involving any of the producers of like Supernatural or anything? No. So Ben Edland from Supernatural was a, a writer on Buffy and then he was uh, one of the senior writers on Angel. And apparently every week he pitched, what if it's an evil horse? <laughs> right and they never did it because it's silly and dumb so Joss Whedon had to shoot this down multiple times and um, Ben Edlund finally got to a point in Supernatural that he thought he was ready to use his evil horse Sorry, and then the writer's strike started and then he got a phone <laughs> call from Joss Whedon just going I've got this idea for a comedy musical that I'm going to make during the writer's strike can I nick your bad horse idea <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> and and he, he sort of worded it as more of an FYI. I've already hired the horse. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben Edlund probably sat back and went, "That's good. That's a piece of media that will live forever because Joss Whedon will be beloved for generations." <laughs> I like the idea that from now on, whenever people bring up Joss Whedon's horrible behaviour, there's a little like there's a pause about maybe maybe like a beat. Beat or two, and Ben Edlund chimes in. Andy nicked my horse idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't Ben Edlund also create the tech? I think he didn't create the comic book, the tick, but I think he was involved in the television adaptation. Not the not the animated one, the live action one with Patrick Warburton, who is possibly the best live action casting of the tick you could ever do. Uh, yeah. Patrick Warburton is possibly the human being who has my favourite voice. Yeah, uh, he's he's brilliant. Have you ever watched Venture Brothers? 
No, not yet. I've heard that's amazing. He's he plays the character of Brock uh, Brock Sampson, who is described by one of the characters as a Swedish murder machine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, um, it does have one of my favourite jokes, which, like all modern jokes, has been utterly destroyed by the internet. It, it, which is the one where if if I had a nickel for X for every time X happened, I would have two nickels. Which <laughs> which says it doesn't happen very often, but it is weird that it happened <laughs> twice or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very well constructed joke that the internet has absolutely run into the ground. Yeah, it occasionally uh, gets mentioned all the time in like wrestling forums yeah. where they're like, if I had a penny for every time, I'd see Sting jumped by a, a, a chainsaw-wielding maniac on a, on a no, dressed as Leatherface. I'd, I'd have two two dollars. That's but that's it. But it's weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's weird that it happened once. I just got an email uh, saying that my Gmail storage is seventy percent full, and I've never had that before. I, I don't know how to deal with that. Right. Here's the thing. Right. I get. I got one of those as well. And it, it, what I've discovered is that. Your natural Gmail usage will never catch up with how much they just naturally increase your Gmail storage. (laughs) So that's 70% full now, but they'll add like an extra gig in a year because gig, it will be much cheaper. Uh, That's how you're fine. Uh, (laughs) Excellent. So how how are you? Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, Yeah, I I went to the biggest wrestling show in history last night. That was absolutely amazing. I got quite drunk and... Got to see 81,000 people shout at the top of their lungs, scissor me daddy ass, which I have to explain. (laughs) So this is the most ludicrous thing in wrestling at the moment. There's a a group called The Acclaimed and they rap to the ring and um, they've got a thing they used to do where one of them would use their fingers to make like an A. And then the other one started to like use his fingers to like scissor them to make him laugh. And then the crowd started liking that. Uh, so they they started doing it as their thing. It's called the scissoring gesture, and then um, they are now have been adopted. Literally in storyline, there were adoption papers signed by <laughs> Billy Gunn, who you may remember as badass Billy Gunn oh, or yeah. the, the the ass man from back in the Attitude Era. Yep, 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 yep. But there is also a wrestler on the AEW roster called Danhausen, who is like an evil, creepy supervillain from a horror movie. If he was really polite and really nice. And one of his things is that he always refers to people by the wrong name. So there's a tag team in uh, AEW who are Billy Gunn's kids. Th- those aren't the ones he's adopted. He's actually feuded with them. <laughs> Wrestling's wild. And he called them, instead of the Gun Club, which is their name, he called them the Ass Boys. Uh, and that got over. And Because <laughs> they were Mr. Ass's kids. Yeah. Uh, that got over. And then the crowd decided that if they were called the Ass Boys, then surely that must make Billy Gunn Daddy Ass. <laughs> uh, and now he's with the acclaimed. So a part of their intro is they, they come down and they shout, Scissor me, Daddy Ass. And here 81,000 people chant that after somebody was wrapped to the ring slagging off Prince Andrew, is a surreal moment that I don't think will ever be approached Excellent. as one of the weirdest things I've ever been a part of. Uh, <laughs> well, you heard it here first, wrestling fans. Uh, Eddie believes that Pyongyang exists outside of history. <laughs> that's, that's, we're gonna leave, I'm going to leave that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's for you to research. Um, LAUGHTER Maybe in a book by Jeff Holder, uh, who will tell you that it is indeed a true thing that happened 
and uh, for more information please consult someone else's book yeah and that book will be um eric bischoff's controversy creates cash uh, <laughs> right. or by a man called hef golder <laughs> anyway anyway i have done absolutely no background research into this episode whatsoever so be aware that anything we say about the production of this episode is absolutely 100 percent conjecture and uh we're definitely gonna get it wrong we're gonna get it wrong on purpose because <laughs> it, it, this it, you know controversy sells doesn't it yeah, it's a, this is a great episode. The episode's called Sarek, so let's start there. Yep. Sarek's in this episode, which, if you don't know, is Spock's dad. Yep. He's played by Mark Leonard. And the thing about being a Vulcan is you don't need old age makeup to play somebody in TNG who was an original series because they lived for 200 or so years. And uh, my first thing I'm going to get wrong is that Sarek, I believe, is the grandson of the lad who. Uh, saw Zephram Cochrane's warp signature. Yes. And first contacted Earth. Yeah, and and his first wife is descended from Arthur Conan Doyle. You can tell because she's fit. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of my favourite things about Mark Leonard, the actor who plays Sarek, is his first appearance in Star Trek is not as Sarek. His first appearance is in the episode uh, Balance of Terror. He's, he plays the first Romulan we ever see. Oh. Now, in that episode, it is established that nobody knows what the Romulans look like because they've never been seen before. And then they appear and Spock is taken aback because they look so similar to the Vulcans. Yeah. And maybe there must be some like history between them or something like that. And... I think he's very shocked at how similar they look like to Vulcans because that one looks exactly like his dad. <laughs> <laughs> also, this is the second from last appearance in Star Trek of Sarek. He appears in one more TNG episode. He's in an Undiscovered Country, which came out after this episode broadcast. And then uh, in 95 or 94, he's in one more TNG episode. Oh. Uh, and then he passes away because that's how time works. He does a, He appears in a, the J.J. Abrams movie, though. Oh yeah, does, does, what he is it him? Well, not him, the character. Uh, oh right, okay, yeah. Because the character also appears in Strange New Worlds and is my the main characters. Because the, the Michael Burnham in Discovery is Spock's never before mentioned ado- uh, adopted sister. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Sarek is on his second human wife in this so I think we can assume he's got Terran fever uh... <laughs> I am um, so Sarek so we obviously established that Sarek is 202 years old yeah and the actress who plays his second human wife is like fairly age appropriate to Mark Leonard mm-hmm. but if you think about it is that the equivalent of Sarek being like a human 65 year old marrying a 21 year old yeah yeah. What do you talk to them about? Yeah, it's that—it's the biggest problem with Buffy. Is like yeah. she, she's a she's a, she's a, she's got a lot going on in life. I admit that, but she is a teenager angel, and you are two hundred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you should find it impossible to have a relatable conversation with nearly every human. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, her problems might seem massive, but not really that bad. Well, I suppose it, but in the case of Buffy, it's like her problems may seem massive, but but they 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 are they literally they are well you know. The world's going to end. 
someone's going to turn into a giant demon. It's, those, those are the actual sort of problems where it's like, no, those are a big deal. Yeah. Fair play. <laughs> um, so the, 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 the plot of this episode is that the, the Enterprise, uh, Captain and Riker, have donned their sexy robes. Oh, I've got their long boy tops. Long boy tops, <laughs> yep. Because they have to pick up Ambassador Sarek, who will be conducting negotiations uh, and peace treaties with a race who are a bit reticent to join the Federation, and they have to exist. They have to be given like a, a pool of slime. Yes. Yeah, they're called uh, the the Lagarians. And just to uh, just to just to rip this bandaid off, uh, we never get to see these things, which is a little yeah. bit disappointing. Um, it reminded me a lot of uh, you know that the, the episode of The Simpsons where Itchy and Scratchy brings in Poochie, and, <laughs> and they're watching the episode and they're just constantly passing by a sign for fireworks factory, and eventually Milhouse is like, "When are they going to get to the fireworks factory?" Uh, that's what it was like every time they pushed back to the, the bucket, the, the the big jacuzzi full of slime. Because one, uh, immediately my brain goes to because because of the machinations of the plot. I went, oh, this slime is making people go crazy. This is like Ghostbusters two mood slime, um, and then unfortunately, this slime is just never used or mentioned. Uh, really, also, like, by anyone. So, like, here's my thing: if they need the slime pool to be there to while they have this meeting, that means it's not like, like, oh, okay. Like, if I was meeting some aliens and they didn't have any, like, food or anything like that, I wouldn't be an issue, like, because I can go for, like, a four-hour meeting without a meal. Um, I could probably do it without water. But if I get to there and they go, they haven't laid on any air, right, then then it's a problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing the Lingarians must be in slime at all times, which implies they're from a slime planet. Yeah. Which further implies... That the Federation is trying to broker a peace and a trading deal with these, because apparently the Federation has slime needs. <laughs> I mean, I guess the whole point of the Federation is is just, you know, luxury space communism. Like it's it's not so much that they they get planets to join who have resources that they need. It's literally just, hey, we're like a, a peacekeeping Federation. If everyone joins us, then we all maintain some semblance of peace. Um, but yeah, how do you sell that to the slime people? How, how <laughs> the replicators can make any type of slime that you want? <laughs> Green slime, blue slime. If the Klingons attack you, don't you want to be protected? It's like the Klingons use blades. They, we're slime people. Yeah, they're, they're gone. <laughs> we're not fussed. <laughs> the card's just tugging at the at the neck of his sexy robes. I was gonna say uh, I know one. I know one thing about the production of this episode because I did check something on Memory Alpha. So when Picard references that he was at a wedding that Sarek attended and they've met before, that is the exact moment that the Star Trek novels were made canon. Oh, interesting. That's from an actual book right. that was written and been released. Like before this episode came had aired, that had been like back around season one or season two. So yeah, that was when even William Shatner's most insane ramblings <laughs> on the subject of Kirk were made canon. Nice. So, 
deal with that, Star Trek fans. Good Stop times. complaining about Nurse Chapel jumping Spock. Because my 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 next up on my Audible list is an, uh, quite quite an old Star Trek novel. I, I think it's maybe from the eighties or the nineties, uh, called the Kobayashi Maru. Uh, because I like there I I don't think there is, and I I've I've talked about it on this podcast at length already. I don't think there is a single lore addition to the Star Trek canon, perhaps to any fictional canon, more interesting than the Kobayashi Maru. Like, Nicholas Meyer, he, 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 it's like he looked into my very soul six, <laughs> six years before I was born and was like, this, this guy will like this. Like, the idea of the unwinnable scenario and it's just a test of character, what do you do? I, I think... Like, I would happily start a fucking podcast where we literally just took any fictional character, maybe we could do a spin-off, where we took any <laughs> fictional character and we were like, how would they deal with the Kobayashi Maru? And the book The Kobayashi Maru is, I think it's four, I think it's four accounts. It's Sulu, Chekhov, Kirk, and Scotty, and how they deal with it. I haven't started it yet, but I'm really, really excited. What was my point? Yes, so that hopefully is canon, because apparently at one point, Scotty invents just a new type of physics uh, <laughs> on the fly <laughs> to beat the Kobayashi Maru, <laughs> and he's like, and I, I, from what I understand, he's like one of the very few people who people will argue he technically beat that test. Yeah, right. <laughs> the unwinnable test, he beat it. It's like the the way you've done it there. The simulation doesn't recognise as working, but we've actually done the maths and that would work in the real world think, but you might also end the universe <laughs> I think it's the opposite I think that I think he uses like a, he basically comes up with a branch of physics that his instructors are like huh, uh, well the simulation says this will work but every test that we've done in real life has said that it's bullshit to which Scotty's <laughs> presumably like it's not my problem <laughs> Scott if I was if Scotty was like well yeah if you you let me try it. Oh well, no, our, our simulations every we've checked in real world seems to indicate that it would be incredibly deadly and explosive. Well, let me do it with a ship. I'll do it far away from a few people, but, but add some stress to the situation. Make sure we're under attack. Yeah, and, 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 and I bet the instructors were like, under no circumstances, Mr. Scott, are you ever to attempt this? Right? And then he goes, okay. And he goes and shakes their hand and winks at them as he walks out. <laughs> As we know from Scotty's, as we know from Strange New Worlds, Scotty's instructors exactly said that to him. He's like, <laughs> you can never do that. And then Scotty probably did it in week one of being on board a ship. Yeah, <laughs> I I have heard, uh, and I, I can't remember if if I where I've read this. So I, I, I there, obviously there's like reams of canon, uh, but I have heard that there is specifically an order banning Scotty from going on the command track. <laughs> They're like, this guy can be in charge of the most important ship in the fleet, right? In engineering, he is not allowed anywhere near that captain's chair. Like, <laughs> only in the most dire circumstances is this guy to ever take charge. You gotta remember Scotty's approach to causal temporality was like, well, I'm going to give a bloke in the 80s the formula for 
transparent aluminum on the grounds that I know he won't be able to manufacture it for at least 30 years. And that's about, the because he definitely won't have the technology to manufacture this until about the point where it gets invented anyway. So maybe I've just given, it's like, no, Scotty, you can't create a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense, though. Um, oh. So, so, so Sarek arrives on the ship and he's accompanied, but so far he's preceded by uh, two sort of assistants, one of whom is human, one of whom is Vulcan. Yes. And they come aboard and they sort of... It, it, the, the human one is... is a, I didn't look him up, but he is like quintessential, that guy. Yes. That bloke. He, yes, he, is. he is in everything. He's he's always a cop uh, or, or, or some kind of low-level gangster or something, but he is in. Or he's, he's, he's a, the opposing, ju- opposing counsel. Not not yeah. the judge. He's uh, he's opposing counsel. Uh, he may be a reoccurring character. I imagine he's been in. I would be stunned if he hasn't been in at least three Ali McBeal episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> he he always kind of looks a bit skeevy. Um, yeah. But they sort of they sort of come ahead and they're like, we need to make sure everything's okay because the ambassador blah blah blah. Fair enough. And then Picard obviously orders O'Brien O'Brien watch and to operate the command the, the the console because you have to get the top lad in uh if you're, <laughs> if you're beaming in the ambassadors um <laughs> yeah um and then um also they say that he wants they want to lay on a concert of some mozart uh and they say no to that and all i've got written in my notes is nozart i don't know if that works <laughs> as a joke no <laughs> um but what actually happens is it turns out that sarek later on would be fine with going to see some mozart but he knows O'Brien's in the string quartet, uh, and what he actually his actual policy is no blacks, no Irish. Uh, so, so they have to kick O'Brien out of the uh, out of the out of the string quartet and replace him with I assume somebody who could how was played by an actor who can actually play the cello. Uh. <laughs> um, so, so all all is sort of well. Uh, he comes aboard, but but the, the assistants seem a little bit sneaky, saying to Picard, "Oh, the ambassador needs his rest. He needs to go straight to his room and not to be disturbed." And then Sarek appears, and he's given it. Oh, I'd like to see the bridge, and I'd like to see the the slime pool, uh, etc. And it is at this point, I think, it's after he leaves. Wesley and Jordy uh, are investigating the slime pool, and then get into um, an incel argument. Yes, yeah. I I would like to point out I have rarely agreed with either of these characters more. Every point they make is spot on. But the show wants you to believe they're being horrible to each other. But the truth is they're being honest with each other and they're horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like if two sex offenders got into an argument over who was the worst sex offender. It's <laughs> It's difficult, and you're not going to take sides, but they are both correct. <laughs> yeah, because we see them talking to you over friendly beforehand, before Sarek arrives. And uh, Wes is being culturally incentive about, incentive about the slime pit, and he says he's got a date. And Geordie's just genuinely impressed that he could talk, he's spoken to a woman. Yeah. Because Geordie, Geordie can't do that. No. <laughs> 
But yeah, they start slagging each other off, and he's like, "Nothing's going to happen. You date. I don't understand where you're going." And then Wesley is like, "At least I could talk to a woman." Yeah, at least I don't have to meet one in a holodeck. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, good, good point. Go on, lads. <laughs> uh, and then Riker turns up and stops them from fighting. And I was like, oh, I don't get to see, I don't get to see somebody hit Wesley, but. But fear not, fear not, viewer. Riker <laughs> as well, like like uh, all the um, comparisons to Kirk. Uh, I've been watching like a little bit of TOS just in my sort of downtime, um, and the, the 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 comparison, like Riker is doing straight Kirk quite quite a lot. Uh, he's yeah. just straight up Kirk, and one of the things that he has in common with actual television Kirk and not like the action hero Kirk that we've all decided was the guy who existed is that he's he has a really good um disappointed face like a really good teacher like I'm not angry I'm disappointed uh like kind of demeanor to him is when he's given Jordy and the kid who flies the ship occasionally into trouble <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I I think Riker's great in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, and then whilst this is all going on, and they're like not certain about it, um, uh, about what they're going to do, like because Picard doesn't know yet that people are getting violent on the ship. He's just upset that Sarek isn't going to attend the Mozart. Yeah, Troy has an incredible suggestion, which is what if we imagined that Sarek's wife was a person uh, with agency. <laughs> And we could talk to her and see if she wants to go to the Mozart. Yeah. So they do that. And even when they go to see her, it's like, um, actually, it's you I wanted to talk to. And she's like, that doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nobody on Vulcan wants to talk to the human woman. Nope. <laughs> Absolutely massive promotion for Troy, this episode. Uh, yeah. In every way. Uh, she, she, she does everything correct. Yeah, I also want to say, uh, I want to say, not just a promotion, but some sort of medal for Bev. Um, oh, yeah. for working out what's going on incredibly quickly and, and I, I feel we should, get, we should jump to the, the thing of it um, everybody's getting angry basically it turns out Sarek because Vulcans are all psychic because Star Trek is essentially bollocks um, <laughs> uh, and he can he's he's there's a certain disease that uh, that Vulcans can get if they're over 200 that means they can't control their emotions and it's it's he's psychically infecting other people and they work this out because Picard sees him cry at Mozart um, and um, part of this is that Beverly slaps Wesley in the face <laughs> yeah uh, and I, I I believe I text you as I, as that moment happened I text you when Bev just slapped Wes this is the best episode <laughs> yeah and that happened before O'Brien was involved in a bar fight uh, but before we uh, before we get to that so so, so essentially, this is some kind of Vulcan dementia. Uh, yes. In the same way that, obviously, when humans get dementia, uh, it's a horrible thing. Your memories start to go, um, and uh, it's an incredibly debilitating disease. Blah blah, etc., etc. Uh, and uh, but for Vulcans, it, it, Vulcans, the, the, if if you're a very casual Star Trek fan, or if for some reason you have listened to seventy episodes of this and not you don't care about Star Trek. <laughs> Um, the idea that Vulcans have no emotion is absolutely incorrect. If anything, they have more emotion than humans, but their emotions are so powerful and so 
deep ingrained that they had to that it almost destroyed them as a as a society. So half of them literally decided to leave the planet to continue being emotional emotional uh, over in uh, the Romulan sneaky bastard quadrant of the fucking. <laughs> Galaxy, whereas the rest of them decided, no, we're we're gonna we're gonna start doing this logic thing because it helps us keep everything in check. Um, but once she once he gets once you get too old, you you can't keep your emotions in check anymore. And as you said, being a psychic, it it, it basically Ghostbusters two mood slimes. Yeah, all over the entire crew. Um, and I would say one thing I do say I want to say is what well, given that fact about Vulcan society, I am. Every time there's a time travel episode in Star Trek, it's always Earth that we go back to because obviously, oh, what do you as a viewer care about the fact that you're on a version of Vulcan from 50 years ago? Yeah, but if we could have an episode of Strange New Worlds where they go back in time on Vulcan like a thousand years and it's before they've got emotional control and it's entirely, entirely a, a, a planet of bar fights and orgies, um, then yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm definitely into that. So we we get a scene transition. Uh, we cut from I, I, I can't remember I cut, I cut a chatty old scene uh, to a table in ten forward uh, when uh, O'Brien and some other people walk up to a bunch of blue shirt science lads at a table, uh, and uh, O'Brien says, "This is our table." To which the science lad replies, "I don't see your name on it," and immediately, <laughs> I, and I immediately just wrote down, "Oh my god, is O'Brien about to get an actual bar fight? What is this science clown thinking?" And then Geordie comes over and stops the fight from happening, and I'm like, "Oh, bum! Yeah, that's how dare they tease this, yeah, and then not deliver it." <laughs> and then we cut to Riker and Wolf outside of the corridor, and Wolf is talking to Riker about how he's worried about tensions rising on the ship and says that he personally has had to discipline several insubordinates uh, for several subordinates for insubordination which if you think about how angry you would have to be to have a go at essentially the ship's orc (laughs) 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 Um, a man who can quite easily rip off your limbs and beat you to death with them and Riker's like oh I don't think tensions have gotten that bad and then they open the door into 10 forward and the scene is just chaos. <laughs> and it's and it's fantastic. You do see, I think we see O'Brien throw a punch. Somebody gets oh, yeah. toyed over a bar, and we don't know for certain that it was O'Brien who did that. But I'm choosing to believe that it was. 100%. It, it's, in terms of level of violence, it is like only maybe a, a notch down from the strict fight in Anchorman. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I'd loved, I would have loved him at some point in this book. I tried to punch somebody and just pointed and walked off camera. <laughs> well, you know what he does. I, I, I wish that he'd punched someone and then downed a full pint of Guinness, <laughs> and then pointed. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that O'Brien didn't glass anyone. Yeah. shows that whilst this this is a show written by Americans who don't I, like, and I feel like he Colmini was a featured extra at this point you know, <laughs> yeah. it was a recurring he wasn't in a position to go lads let me tell you how an Irishman <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> just, I, just I, uh, it, it, what you don't see is he, it's someone he's just uh, spray painted up the ra 
on the on the wall of ten forward. <laughs> Some, something that um, exists in in D and D, and I absolutely love, is uh, there is a weapon that you can get uh, for a dwarf characters, and it is essentially the head of a dwarven warhammer, but um, but it's it's hollowed from the top, and it has a handle, and it's called a dwarven fighting mug. And it's, <laughs> it's for filling with beer, drinking, and then using to smack people. Fantastic. And I think as a weapon, that needs to exist. Uh, and that is the kind of weapon that O'Brien would wield. Also, it's the kind of thing the Klingons should have. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I was I was talking to you earlier about how I'm kind of reticent to have a stag do. Uh, yeah. Because I, um, I don't like parties. Uh, I don't like parties where I'm the main centre of attention. Um, I, I'd, uh, I'd, because I because I because I have like a I I have a social anxiety which flares up whenever I think anyone is not having the best time ever at like an event that I've planned or I'm taking major part in. Um, it's a, I said I I need to get over it because I'm an adult. But that's kind of partly the reason why I've never like I'm really interested in D and D. I'd love to play D and D. But I don't think I could find a group of strangers. I think I'd need to find like a group of comedians or friends or something. Uh, <laughs> because my D&D strategy, as you well know, is just whatever ludicrous idea I think of at the time that I think would be the funniest <laughs> because my character's an absolute drunk. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, yeah. They, they, I don't want to be a dwarf. Uh, you can quote me on that. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I'd like to be in a party with one so that he can get that thing so that I can then steal it off him. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm going to read you. Um, I've got three lines of notes about this episode. And I think it, it really is going to convey the emotional experience. Um, I've got these three lines. It just says, Bev slaps Wes, and in brackets, I've written yay with an exclamation mark. The next line is, O'Brien has a fight, brackets, yay. Oh no! Brackets boo. Yes. Brackets yay. <laughs> that was the emotional journey. I was like, "Oh, Wes got slapped. Oh, Brian's gonna have a fight. Oh, he's not gonna have a fight. Yes, he is gonna have a fight." <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I took in a note because there's a bit where so so the, the the plot of this episode really is that the the assistants and Sarek's wife uh, have figured out that Sarek has this condition, but no one wants to sort of approach him about it uh so they so they want him to to still be you know be being his old diplomat self so we think they're being kind of sneaky in a bad way and it, they are being sneaky but it's a sneaky in a way where they're like we, we need this to work but we also don't want to upset the big man uh so there's a yeah. part where uh data and the vulcan assistant are on i think they're on the bridge or maybe they're in the slime pit room um, and uh, first of all, data speaking to a Vulcan, phenomenal, right? Fan- fantastic writing. I I like the fact that it's never outright implied, but it, it's never outright said, but it is heavily implied that the Vulcans fucking love data. Yeah. Because <laughs> data is the perfect embodiment of everything they strive for as a society. Yeah. Like, he's, a, he's a being of pure perfect logic. Even when he gets the emotion chip, Later on, he will never act or do anything that isn't entirely logical. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the only way that we could create an artificial life form 
as impressive to every human being as Data is to every Vulcan is if we made the single sexiest sex robot in the history of sex. <laughs> or if we somehow managed to make a robot and then we turned it on, it had the personality and charisma of Jack Black. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Give us that. Yeah. That's what Vulcan Star Trek is like. Uh, everybody's super stoic and super down the line and then their date is just Jack Black. <laughs> I'd watch that. I mean, we. I mean, we could have that. Like, we could literally do a crew just full of Vulcans, and then like a fish at a water comedy. Oh, the the new helmsman is coming on board today, but they've they've messed it up. Like, they've got on a, a Campbell uh, with one L rather than a Campbell with two L's, so they get mixed up. They just think it's another Vulcan, but no, nope. Jack Black. <laughs> I jinx and shoot. <laughs> So there is a there is an episode of Deep Space Nine where there is a Vulcan captain who only has Vulcan crew members, right. and uh, that episode of Deep Space Nine is one of the best episodes of of, of Star Trek ever because the <laughs> because it's the baseball episode. Um, ah. Basically, he's he's a longtime rival of uh, Cisco's. And Ben Sisko once tried to get into a drunken argument with him at the academy about whether emotions were more important than logic. And the Vulcan won the debate when Sisko hit him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, that's a matter of perspective. <laughs> um, not when you get hauled up and like he's like, well, you're the one who's in trouble. Anyway, <laughs> um, it turns out he's been trying to, as a team building exercise, he's been using the holodeck to run a baseball simulation. And then he ch- that ch- uh, leads to a challenge uh, against Ben Sisko's team that he puts together on the Deep Space Nine of baseball in the holodeck. And it's it's basically, it's, it's like a Field of Dreams plus League of Their Own, which are my only two. I, I don't know if it's anything like those particularly those are my only two touch points for baseball because it's, it's like if Moneyball was about baseball rather than maths yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know I don't know what baseball yeah, Americans if you're listening to this I'm sorry you invented one of the most boring fucking sports in the world there, 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 there is though like there's a there's a really good video by a guy called Patrick H. Willems and I can't really remember the details I've, I've watched quite a lot of this stuff he's, he's a very good kind of cinema commentator um, and he does a very compelling video about how baseball is the perfect cinematic sport, uh, just because of of the way that like the, the story can be told through a game, and it, and it it does make sense. And I really enjoyed that video. And I like movies about baseball. I do not understand the rules of baseball. I understand that you have to hit the ball and run one, two, three home, and then yeah. you get points. And that's it. Yeah, that's that's what I get. And, and like when that happens, it's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think baseball makes much better movies than it does games. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I've never been to a baseball game. It is genuinely on my bucket list, though, because if, if, I mean, it's the famous joke in The Simpsons, isn't it? When Homer gives up drinking and he goes to a baseball game, and he's like, "I never realised how boring this game was." Because it does just yeah. seem like it's an excuse to day drink, sanctioned with thousands of other people, while something kind of occasionally exciting is happening. Yeah, very similar to cricket in that respect. Yeah, um, which again, and I'm going to say this: if you're an American and you don't get to kick off, it takes you seven. If if it takes seven games of baseball to determine that, that who the winner is, right? Then then your baseball games are seven days long, so you don't get slack off cricket for being five days long, and at least cricket has a tea break. 
uh, I actually quite enjoy. I uh, I've got a I've got the old dodgy Fire Stick, um, and occasionally I can find uh, Japanese baseball games, and those are memorable. right because uh, they're just regular baseball games except the commentators are Japanese. Um, and I just, I just, I like hearing people get excited in languages that I don't speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm going to share with you something that, that recently has, has occurred to, uh, to me. So recently, a lot of the pubs around uh, my area have been showing the ongoing um, Cricket 100s tournament. Right. Which is, uh, you've got, it's basically 100 overs, games last a day. But what caught my eye about them is that the two teams playing, one was sponsored by Skips and the other was sponsored by Pombear. <laughs> <laughs> then the next time I saw a game, it was Pombear versus Butterkist. Yeah. And now I've noticed the pattern. So I did some Googling. Now, if you were going to invent an evil conglomerate that own all snacks, right, Mark, for comedy purposes, <laughs> what name would you give them? Uh, evil snack co. I don't know. Right. Okay. Okay. That's that's good. But um, the, I'm that, a they went professional writer. They, they went. They went with in a snack. Oh yeah, that, no, that is better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and apparently they have the they 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 sponsored the entire league. So it's an entire league of cricket people playing each other, all sponsored by the same umbrella company but they've got different logos so <laughs> so one of the teams sponsored by like Tyrrells one of the teams sponsored by Kettle Chips um, and it's like own KP snacks I, uh, listen <laughs> as well as many other international conglomerates I have been approached by many world leaders uh, asking <laughs> the important question how do we get basically everyone involved in sports <laughs> now I was never really into football as a kid because if you, if you don't know anything about where I'm from, which is Glasgow, Glasgow, Glasgow's a very working class town, so football is a massive part of the culture here. Uh, Glasgow has two football teams, uh, both in the same football league, who fucking hate each other. And not in like the, oh, they're the White Sox and they hate the Yankees or whatever. No, not, not like that. Not like a sports rivalry. Like an actual violent gang war rivalry that every now and again has an official football game, right? And also, and also, it should be noted, has a religious sectarian component. Oh, of course, yeah, it has a religious sectarian component. So I kind of bowed out of that because very early on, I was like, "This seems dumb. I don't understand why we're fighting all the time." Um, and uh, why can't we moan about things that matter, uh, like I do? Um, so the I think the best way, I think what we should do is we should get a league and we should we should get a sport right and it, and we have to make it as simple as possible. Football, like soccer football, is incredibly simple. There's a team and they have to get the ball and the goal. Only the goalie can use his hands. That's it, right? You can explain football in a sentence, right? I say we get something like that, except the teams aren't made up of. Um, well, they're made up of people. They're not made up of dogs. Although that will be legal under the rules. Um, <laughs> we'll have the. Well, it won't be legal, but it won't be illegal. It'll be the Airbud system. Yeah, the Airbud uh, loophole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that the, the rule book will be called the Airbud Constitution. And <laughs> we get we say five people on one team, five people on another team. They've got a simple task to complete. And what we do is we simply rename the team every time. To just which is better, skips or pom bear? 
<laughs> because everyone has an opinion on what the best crisp is, right? So, and that's and then, and then we just do that rather than just getting votes for people going, I vote for skips, I vote for palm bear. It's like no, this is an actual sport, and at the end there will be ordained an objective best crisp. <laughs> yeah, the, see, this is the thing. I don't care that much about cricket one hundreds. D- d- never, never really given us. Didn't know it was on. Yeah, I'm rooting. Yeah, I'm rooting for skips. Pombez are nothing snack. Yeah. Uh, it's like, fuck off, Pombez. There's only, first of all, Pombez, only five in a multi pack. Fuck off. Disgusting right? European <laughs> nonsense. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Proper crisps. Real McCoys. Uh, We're getting T bone steaks. <laughs> uh, and this is just a sample of some of the arguing that happened on board the Enterprise this week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yeah, this episode. Um, uh, yeah, so the talk about the I talked to the Vulcan, right? And the Vulcan giving it. Can you can you can you can you tell us a little bit about Captain Picard? Like, what's his like diplomatic history? Like, is he any good? Is he a, is he a good diplomat? And as soon as he said it, and I, and I I I don't know if I could see anything flaring up in Data's eyes, right? But I, as a viewer, leaned forward, pointed at the screen, and said, "Don't you?" ever question Captain Picard's diplomatic history in his own fucking house. <laughs> I, I love that data, data later says to that guy's face, he goes, you, you've told me that you've had concerns about the about the ambassador's ability to do the job. And he goes, I never said that. He goes, you asked whether or not uh, Captain Picard was a, a diplomat of reasonable standards. And they were like, yeah, he goes, well, logically, and like laid out the whole logic trail. Like, we wouldn't ask that question unless you meant, and the Vulcan is like, oh, damn, you android. <laughs> yeah, if that, if that had been an original series episode, it, we would have cut to like a, a shot behind the shoulder of the Vulcan as he like turned and went, oh, got me there. Uh, <laughs> can't believe I've been out logic. And yeah, I, I love that, that. So it turns out that, like we said, it's like a, a version of dementia that Sarek's got um, for Vulcans. Um, I like the fact that Picard gives a wonderful monologue about how time comes for us all. Nobody is island, and he's like, "Ah, oh, aging and all of this is terrible thing." Like, two two data. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Data's like, oh. uh, and Data's like, yeah. Well, eventually, my circuits will break down in a couple of thousand years. <laughs> yeah. And I do like Picard's like, do you really want to be a human data? This is this this is what it is. And like I do like that they should have just been like, Well, not one with dementia. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> but neither but ne- but no human wants to be a human with dementia either. <laughs> I I also think so so we we've spoken we spoke recently about how uh, behind the scenes we knew that Patrick Stewart's contract wasn't signed for season four. Uh, yeah. I like to think this was the point where Patrick started making demands. Um, he was like, I want Picard to read Shakespeare from a real Shakespeare book. What do you else do you want? In the next episode, I want to do every crazy Shakespeare character. Like every Shakespearean madman. Because Laura, because I mean, it ends where Sarek, uh, as a sort of temporary solution to his Vulcan dementia, can mind meld with Picard and essentially loan him steal yeah the or or yeah it's, you, yeah you put it about it's, it's essentially take Picard's 
emotional stability temporarily for himself so that he can go and do the 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 fucking the uh the 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 negotiations which i only kind of just realized was maybe the the assistance vulcan plan all along yeah if not it certainly worked out that way um but uh picard without any emotions is uh laura's a much bigger shakespeare fan than me but she said picard being mad is just all of shakespeare's mad men at once because <laughs> she's like, there's Iago, there's Othello, here's some, there's some, some Lear. Some, some Lear, yeah. yeah, Lear was the big one, yeah. Lear's a crazy, he's a crazy motherfucker. Yeah, I I, I love this. And I love that, like, as a series, they went, what do people want to see more? Do we want to see the, the Langarians? Or do we want to see Patrick Stewart go mad in a dark room? And it's like, oh, it's probably going mad in a dark room. And it's cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, if there's anything I want to see more of, from Star Trek, it's. I I feel like the I feel like the next generation. If you haven't seen it, one of the tropes that everyone knows, and like one of the things that they parody in Community quite a lot, is that often Picard will sum up a situation with like a really inspirational, moral driven speech, and he doesn't do it a whole lot. Like he does it sometimes, but he doesn't. It's, it's certainly not like every episode ends with one of these. Um. And I and I want more of that. I I I would take three of them an episode, like one hundred percent. But I I feel I like when him. he gets a chance to go Shakespearean crazy, that's you've sold yeah. a ticket. I don't even care that we're never going to see these slime monsters. <laughs> I love that. Also, he does the whole like the re- he the give big giveaway is that Sarek was crying at the Mozart. Yeah. Uh, and and Picard is like, no no no, right? And Sarek doesn't want to admit what's going on because it's confronting his own problems so like picard uh, picard is like uh, picard is does like uh what is the logical reason to cry to mozart and he does it very much in the same way that uh, that kirk asks why does god need a spaceship yeah right because <laughs> 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 it's, it's a very clear logical question and I, 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 that scene's where he like keeps bringing up that point and sarek's Go also. I would have just gone like, "Oh, sorry, mate. You are getting really fucking aggy." <laughs> like, which proves, oh, that's it. There is one thing in this episode that I love completely because it's. Just, I think it's the first time that uh, something has been acknowledged on screen. Because Sarek says, "What if it's not me that's making your crew go angry?" And basically, he doesn't say this as many words. He goes, "What if it's some Star Trek bollocks?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's like lots of weird. Like, he's like, "My son served on the Enterprise. I've heard stories. Yeah. <laughs> I know what happens. Weird shit happens all the time. Like somebody, some occasionally people fall through the floor. Like yeah. you, <laughs> you don't know. Maybe it's a weird thing." And he's like, "Well, yeah, but it happened. It started the exact moment you appeared on my ship." <laughs> I uh, speaking of that, I, I one of the TOS episodes I watched recently. Uh, if you know your TOS, was the Landru episode, uh, which is the Purge Planet episode essentially. Oh. <laughs> uh, and it's like there's a society, and uh, for the last six thousand years, they've been essentially ruled by a computer that they don't know is a computer, uh, but it keeps them in perfect harmony. Like it, it hypnotizes them into perfect harmony except for once every now and again when it just lets them go fucking mental for 12 hours because it's the only way that the human brains will survive. Um, and uh, there's an interesting discussion between Kirk and Spock that I was like, oh, that's that's cool, that's interesting, which is that they get to the planet, this happens to Sulu and Bones, uh, they get made 
happy. And uh, Kirk's like, well, obviously we need to fuck, we need to put a fucking stop to this. Like, we we obviously need to go and destroy that computer. To which Spock replies, well, what about the Prime Directive, Captain? Um, to which Kirk says, right, the actual wording of the Prime Directive is that we are not allowed to interfere in developing societies. What part of this do you think is developing? Yeah, I say, ah, ah, that's good. I see old Kirk loophole, mate. That's one, is that one of those episodes where Kirk talks a computer into destroying itself? I think it's the quintessential Kirk talks Because <laughs> I think Kirk does it in maybe three episodes. Like I imagine yeah. that when Kirk goes to like give a speech, when Kirk goes to teach a guest seminar uh, at the Academy, it's, I bet it's for, here's how you talk a computer, an evil computer into killing itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. But uh, this was a this was a great little episode, man. Yeah, it's a two of the force from Patrick Stewart as well, hundred percent. Because because he gets to have the argument with Sarek, he gets the the as the emotional nearly blows up with Riker um, because of the emotions. Yeah, it's nice. It's just it's, and him insane at the end. It's very um, Brando in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, my only demotion for this episode is uh, Wesley. He should know not to speak to Jordan like that. <laughs> not because it wasn't accurate it's because Jolly's uh, his boss <laughs> my uh, my demotion is to the ensign uh, that's got a date with uh, Wesley uh, Wesley <laughs> is Wesley is a, a cadet yeah uh, and is I believe at this point canonically 16 so that's and if you're an ensign I've got to assume you've finished the academy you're at probably at least 20 21 yeah, yeah no <laughs> Further demotion to the science officer who thought that he could square up to O'Brien in a bar. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why would you do that? I, if I was a commanding officer, I'd be like, I, I don't even know what you're doing in the science division. You <laughs> thought that was a good idea. <laughs> you know the prime directive? Well, there is a secondary directive. <laughs> don't come between. Don't come for O'Brien. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Bye. Bye. The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.